And if you have a Bible, if you would open to Psalm 23, familiar psalm. You know, I was preparing to preach the second message out of Judges 6 that I preached on Gideon the other day. That's when I got the phone call that Mrs. Radulovich died and went to be with the Lord. For me, it was just a little tough to take at first, and it's just in my heart, I just felt like, you know, Maybe it's just for me, but I just thought today I just think we need a, a word of comfort, that God can give us a word of comfort and encouragement. We've lost a dear sister. We, we really have. And the funny thing is, you would think she was everybody's best friend. And that tells you something about a person right there. When everybody had that personal thing to where, hey, I got to go to the hospital, talk to her. It was just like it always was in the past. And Mrs. Rudy kind of had that way about her, didn't she? she? She made you feel like she paid attention to when you were talking and she was just a great sister in that way, and she just felt like it was just you and her, and, and you were her best friend. But it was like that for all of us that got a chance to talk to her. So, you know, Psalm 23, it's probably actually one of the best well-known texts of the Bible in the entire world. I mean, it's read at weddings, at funerals, and at many deathbeds, it's been read down through the centuries to give people comfort at their moment of dying. And it is the great psalm of comfort. And I'd say the first verse, it contains the most comforting words when you hear that in all of scriptures. And so Psalm 23, it speaks of the deepest experiences men have with God. And it speaks of God's undying love for his children, is what it says. And I overheard this Scottish preacher named William Hughes. And he was saying how he, he read that psalm, he didn't know how many times the people on their deathbeds. He would read it to them in their last moments. And he's saying, what you understand is that at that time when people are passing, the thought of family, friends, everyone else, at the moment they're getting ready to pass, that is gone out of view. And they're only aware that they're passing from this life to meet God. And as they're hearing the words of that psalm, he's saying, it just makes alive the presence of God to them. And it brings great comfort and encouraging to them as they're going on to be with the Lord. I mean, what a way to go out. If I'm ever at place, y'all read Psalm 23 to me, I'll be a blessed man. And that's the way it is. So let's read the psalm. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's just pray. And Father, I thank you for your presence that's here with us now, and I ask that you just minister to everyone in here today, Lord, through the, the word that will preach your word, and bring comfort and encouragement to all of us here, Lord, through this great psalm and your word. And we thank you that you'll minister to us in all of our needs in Jesus' name. Quickly here, if you notice in your Bibles, I don't know how many people know this, this is almost kind of an aside, but Lord, the word Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, is in all capitals. So there's other places where Lord will be, and it's a capital L with lowercase letters. So the reason you have Lord with all capital letters that way is, it means that it is the Hebrew for Yahweh. 
They won't even say that word, the Hebrews. It is the great I am. It's Exodus 3, when the Lord spoke out of the burning bush to Moses. I am that I am, the great I am, Yahweh. And so what that's telling us is the Lord, Yahweh, is our great shepherd. He's qualified, as no one else is qualified, because he is the Lord of the universe, the creator and all the names of Yahweh we know in the Old Testament apply to this great shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh Jireh. What does that mean? The Lord will provide. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Yahweh Sidkenu. The Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Shama. The Lord is with us. And Yahweh Rapha. The Lord that heals. And he is that. So what we're getting from that, Yahweh, with all of these names, he is a shepherd that can meet all of our needs. That's what we're hearing there. And David is rejoicing. You get that out of that first verse that he is able to say, the Lord, God, Yahweh, the great I am, is my shepherd. That's what I hear David saying. And he knew what a good shepherd was. Because why? We all know David had been a good shepherd. He was willing to give his life for the sheep that he took care of. The lion and the bear came. Hey, he didn't just run and flee. No, he fought to save that one sheep. So if he didn't care for him, if he didn't care for each individual sheep, man, why not just let a couple go? Why am I going to risk my life for just a couple sheep? I'll get most of them. I'll still have most of them. But no, he sacrificed, didn't he? He cared for each one individually. And he'd probably seen bad shepherds or hirelings that would just flee when trouble came. And so he's saying, hey, I know what a good shepherd is, and Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd, a shepherd that cares to the point of death. And so the words of Jesus are so familiar to us in John 10, and they are this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is an hireling and cares not for the sheep. And he says again, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. And so he says twice, we read twice in there, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And that I am, okay, it is two words in the Greek. It could have just used one. It's ego a me. It could have just been a me. That means I am. But they add an ego. You know why? Because he's saying, I'm the same one that was at that burning bush. The I am. The great I am. I am that I am. That's the Greek way of saying that. The good shepherd, Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd of Psalm 23. A shepherd that cares for his flock on a daily basis. He watches over us every minute and every aspect of our lives. That's what he does because a bad shepherd just doesn't care. You know, one time I was driving out in the country, it's been a few years ago, with a brother. And he showed me some horses in a field. And he says, look at those horses there. He said, those horses have been poorly cared for. They're underfed, they're ungroomed, dirty, sickly. He could tell they were sickly just looking at them. They didn't have a good shepherd over them. And our shepherd isn't like that. Because we know that the Lord Jesus, our shepherd, cares for us daily. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. Think about that. 
daily loads us with benefits. And in John 10, while speaking of himself as the good shepherd, here's another familiar verse we all know. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's what our shepherd has come to give us. That's what he wants to give us. And so think of what this psalm is saying. Think of what it's saying. One man wrote, this is what it's saying, that a mere mortal becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. A mere mortal, that's us, becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. And that's what is behind those words, the Lord is my shepherd. God has set his love on us, stinking sheep. That is what we are. I got a book at home that says, the sheep are smelly. <laughs> Talking about the church, and we are. That is what we are. And yet, he set his love on us. And listen, it is quite a task to keep us. It really is. Sheep stray constantly. No small task to bring them back. And every shepherd out there will tell you they have certain sheep. They just love to wander. They just love to try to get under the fence. They just love to try to get away from the pack. They love to stray, looking for greener grass. But all, not just a few, all of God's flock, every one of us, every one of his sheep are prone to wander. Isaiah 53 says, all we, not just a few of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now listen, all of us here, every single person in here were astray from God's care as shepherd, yet... Yet he has personally, God personally has gone after every one of his sheep, us, to bring us back. Personally gone after you and I and at great expense. And we get that picture in Luke 15. You don't have to turn there. Luke 15, it says, what man of you having 100 sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he has found that he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you all that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. And what is it telling us about that shepherd there, Jesus? He's saying he searches in the wilderness. If you've ever seen the wilderness of Israel, that is no small task. Up and down those mountains and ravines over rocks, jagged rocks, trees getting cut up. It's no small search that he's making there, he's saying for that shepherd. That's the picture he's getting. And then he finds that sheep, lays that sheep on his shoulder, and he's got to go back and make that return trip to the flock. Now with the weight of that sheep on his back. But it's not a problem for him because he's a good shepherd. He's glad. Just like, you know, when Christine Smith fell off that bridge and her legs are crippled, her brother picks her up and miraculously, I've seen the ravine, carried her up a ravine into their house. How did he do that? It wasn't a problem. That's his sister. She needed help. And that's the way the Lord is with us. Lays us on his shoulders. And then he said, I have found my sheep. The one. He's talking about the one. And we're the one. He went to all that trouble, died on that cross for you. The one. Says, I have found my sheep. And then he says, he rejoiced with me. Joy in heaven 
or we're just finding that one. Can you imagine the day you got saved, Jay? The heavens breaking out in cheers. Just happened recently. A shout went up. And that's a picture of God as our shepherd. 1 Peter 2, 25 says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He's guarding us. Our life is in his hands. So let me ask you in here, can all of us say the Lord is my shepherd? Because not all can. But have you heard the shepherd's voice? Have you been carried on his shoulders back into the fold? Has he put his mark on you? you know, they would put a mark in the sheep's ear. And in the Old Testament, if a slave wanted to be the Lord's, they'd put a mark on his ear. He's, that's ownership. And what is our mark? Our mark is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has he put that mark on you? Paul said he bore the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ in his body. And are you under the direction and management of the great shepherd of souls? And you know whether you are or not. And if you aren't, you can still hear the shepherd's voice saying, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. I'll put you on my shoulders. My burden is light. It's not burdensome. What he wants us to do. But if we have done that, if we do know the Lord is our good shepherd, just think about how he is as our shepherd. Loving, kind, just, and holy. He is a good shepherd. And every believer in here has a right to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd, not our shepherd, but the Lord is, it's personal here. The Lord is my shepherd. He has personally, think about it. Tell yourself, he has personally taken me into his care. His eye is on you. The great shepherd of souls guiding you, protecting you, providing for your needs. My shepherd, we should say. What a blessing. And he goes on to say in that first verse, I shall not want. That doesn't mean I get everything I want. Like a little kid, I shall not want. I want candy bars. Well, here, you're going to get everything. No, it really means I shall not lack. <laughs> He'll meet all of our needs. And doesn't he do that? And so what kind of needs? We have temporal needs. In Luke 12, after Jesus told his disciples not to worry about what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on, and said this life is more than food and the body is more than raiment. You read it. He went on to say in Luke 12, he says, fear not, little flock. Calls us his sheep. He's saying, I'll give you everything you need materially. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. God is our shepherd. And so listen, here's the easy way when you get in the financial trial. Just take the attitude, I am a helpless sheep. And my shepherd has promised to provide me. I can trust him to do that. He's promised me that he will. Good shepherd cares for his sheep. And so what about emotional needs? It says you shall not lack because people have emotional needs. They really do. Psalm 2710 says this, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. As you think about it, to be abandoned. I mean, that was my one security in life, no matter where I was, that I knew I could go home. My parents were always, I knew they cared about me. There was no doubt in my mind and they loved me. But to think about that, when your mother and your father abandon you is what the word means, forsake you. That would be an emotional crisis. Talk about lonely. Think of what those orphans have to deal with. 
But he says what? He says, the Lord will take us up. Take us up in his arms if that ever happens. And I know there's people in here that have to deal with loneliness. I'm saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. God will take care of those emotional needs. When we were just up in Wisconsin, a brother that shared on Sunday, Dan Trudeau, he really had to deal with loneliness in his life. He's a single brother, not married. And it, he said he sought the Lord. And I didn't hear all the details of the testimony, but he said when he sought the Lord, the Lord just took that away from him and somehow supernaturally met his need. And he's just staying there. He's still not married. He just says, I'm not lonely anymore. Not like I was. I'm sure he'd like to get married. But forever that's worth. He says, you will not lack if the Lord's your shepherd. And what about our spiritual needs? Those are our greatest needs. In Ephesians 1, he says, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And there is no spiritual need that you can have that our spiritual shepherd won't meet. Whether it's peace, you need peace, love, forgiveness, holiness, courage, faith. We never have to lack in any of those areas. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In Luke 4, 18, it says that God anointed Jesus and sent him to meet our spiritual needs. Because it says this, this, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So what is your spiritual need in here today? Are you brokenhearted? Are you harassed? by a spirit that has you captive? He says, I've come to give you deliverance. Are you bruised by the world? And he says he's anointed our shepherd to meet all the needs of his sheep. And he goes on to say there in verse 2 that he makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. And so what are sheep's basic needs? We just saw them right there. It's grass and water. But they can't just eat any old grass. Sheep have to eat grass that is fresh and green, and the water has to be still or quiet because it's a fact that sheep will not drink from fast-flowing streams. And I read this man told this story of these sheep had been driven all day in the hot sun to the point their tongues were literally hanging out of their mouths, literally. And they came to this river that was a fast-running river that they had to go over, and every single one of those sheep went over it without drinking any water. None of them would stop to drink that water. And it wasn't long after that that shepherd knew there was a second stream that was a quiet, gentle, flowing stream, and they all had their heads down in that stream. But there it is. We need to have those gentle streams. Grass and water is the basic need. And without that, without having those two things, sheep will not lie down. They won't lie down and prosper. So the green pastures in Palestine, where David's writing this, were seasonal. They only came in spring and winter when the rains came. But you know what? God's telling us here he's not limited. He's not seasonal, is he? <laughs> He'll make us lie down in green pastures and lead us beside still waters every day of the year, if we allow them to. Ezekiel 34 says this, I will feed them in a good pasture, God says. That's us, his people. And upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold. And in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. 
And so when sheep are fed good green grass and able to drink from still waters, then they will lie down in the pastures and they ruminate. You know what ruminating is? They're chewing the cud. They're chewing that grass that they did, and they begin to grow fat and healthy. But when they have to continually move and try to find food and water, they become scrawny, hungry, and they're nervous. You don't get that sense of peace. And so with Israel, God's will for Israel was not for them to be wandering aimlessly for years in that wilderness, was it? He wanted to bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey. What did he want? What was his desire for his people? To be well-fed and to settle down. And that's God's will for us, his people, as our great shepherd. That's his will for us. He wants us to feed on the word, drink deep of his spirit, and ruminate on the word, and then do what? You just can't lay down all your life, right? That's unhealthy. We've got to live it in our homes, where we work, in fellowship with one another, and share it with the world, because we are never to receive his word as an end in and of itself. We're to be doers. It's like I just recently heard a man say, you, you know, that time you spend in devotion is not just to say I've done my devotion and then the rest of the day I'm going to do what I want to do. No, it's spent. So you come out of that devotion saying, I'm going to put this into practice, whatever it is. I'm going out into this world to put this word into practice, to share it with others, to show love for others, to do the good that I'm supposed to do, not just read about it. So talking about those green pastures, we had a shepherd here for over 30 years, and I'm going to say he kept us from wild grass, poisonous grass, and the deadly pastures of false teaching and movements that have been around us. I'm saying, I can speak for myself, I am very thankful for that. Amen. Brother Hamilton was very picky about what he preached on, how he preached it, and staying true to the word. And I would just ask that you pray for me and whoever else ministers from this pulpit, that God will continue to give us a word for the times we're in. You know, a word that will prepare us to be harmless, holy, faithful, and loving sheep. That's what we need. Ready to meet the Lord when he returns because he's coming back soon. And it's going to get rough before he gets here. If you can't see that, you've got to be sleeping all the time. This world's going literally nuts. But he says he leads us beside those still waters. And what is that speaking of? To me, that speaks of the rest that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we have to be led to those waters. That's what it says. And as it says in Romans, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so where is he leading us? Where does the Spirit of God lead us? Romans 14 says this, the kingdom of God, it's not food and drink, it's not the things of this world, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think that's, that speaks of quietness and rest, doesn't it? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Rest and stillness. And here's the thing, your life can be in utter turmoil. Your spirit can be uneasy and troubled, and you can be in heaviness. And what's the answer to that? It's still in the Holy Spirit because praying in the Holy Spirit brings us. He leads us to that place of rest. That's Isaiah 28. Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 14, but listen to this. Isaiah wrote, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said this, these stammering lips, these tongues, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. 
That is the still waters. That's the rest right there. It's God's answer to turmoil in our spirit. Speaking in tongues. Do you do that? You got trouble in your house, in your life, in your heart. Do you spend time praying in the spirit whenever you can? That is the answer. You know, Dr. Freeman shared it's in that Why Speak in Tongues book. It's right in the beginning of the book. That woman had lost her husband, and it was to, she felt like her heart was going to break. Didn't know how she could cope with everything. And she found her answer in her heart came to rest as she just continually prayed in the spirit. God ushered her into that rest supernaturally. It's a supernatural rest that he'll bring us into, those still waters. So he goes on in verse 3 to say, he restores my soul. And I'm saying there's times we've all needed God's restoration. You know, David, who wrote this, he knew about that. He fell into sin, grievous sin, right? And he had to cry out to God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And he had lost that joy. How had he lost that joy? Through sin, through going his own way. God said, you despised my word. That'll take your joy real quick. But yet he cries out to God, restore it unto me. And God did restore his joy. But listen, when that was taking place, when Nathan confronted David, thou art the man. Oh, man, David at that point was flat on his back and needed help. Sheep, when they fall on their back, if they somehow get flipped over, which they will a lot of times, like David was kind of fat and happy. Things were going good in the kingdom. And that's what caused him to fall into sin. And that's what will happen to sheep. They get a little too well fed. They get a little too fat and happy. And they're scratching and thing, and they roll over and they're on their back with their feet up in the air. And they can't right themselves. They'll die if left that way. And that's the way it's been with us at times, hasn't it? Get off the path. And we're like those sheep. It's called casting when that happens. And if they're not turned over, like I said, they'll die. And only one person can turn them over. It's not another sheep. It's the shepherd. He'll turn them upright. They can't help themselves. And how many of us has God been gracious to that have fallen on our back with our feet up in the air going, I'm ready to die in my sin. That's what's happening. Helplessly mired in sin. And he came and turned us over or turned us around, however you want to look at it, right? That's what he did. The goodness of our shepherd that restored our souls, not our ability, not our determination, right? And we were like Peter, some people in here. I know, giving up. But our shepherd was seeking us, praying for us to be converted, just like with Peter, and met us with a word of restoration. Do you love me? Hey, I haven't given up on you. Then go do the ministry that I gave you. Feed my sheep. God would say, I haven't given up on you because I'm your shepherd. But I know you're an ignorant sheep that falls into sin. It gets a little too fat and complacent, right? And his grace has kept us from falling. It has. Psalm 56. For you have delivered, David wrote, my soul from death. Indeed, my feet from falling so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. He said, you delivered me from that, where I was headed, from death, and my feet from falling. You set me upright, that I may walk, get back to walking before God in the light of the Lord, light of the living. And so when he restores us, though, it tells us here, it's not just to do whatever we want, just to go back living the way you were, but to bring us to paths of righteousness. That's what it says in the last part of verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And listen, those aren't paths of our own choosing. 
Because we are, as we've been talking about, we are just dumb sheep. And sheep, if left to their own, they'll just wander aimlessly off a cliff to their death if they're going to pick their own paths. And that's a picture of a man left to himself without the great shepherd guiding him. That's the world. So listen, Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, they are both identical. God said it twice in the book of Proverbs, and it says this, There is a way, a path, which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so who alone can keep us from those paths of death? There's only one, our shepherd. And he's given us light, hasn't he, to see the right paths to walk on. So we can stay on those paths. His word Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And boy, there's a great illustration of that in the life of David. You know, David, he's going to go execute judgment on Nabal for treating him with contempt because what had happened? David had sent his man and he said, just go ask Nabal for a little food and water so we can live out here in this wilderness. It's the least Nabal could have done. I mean, David's men had protected his sheep, talking about sheep, when they were out in that wilderness. And, you know, so David's like, hey, you throw contempt on me, I'm going to have a little vengeance on you. And the world would have applauded that. Abel's just getting what he deserved. It's what seemed right unto man, what we just quoted in Proverbs, right? But it wasn't God's path. It wasn't the path of righteousness. You know why? Because the Bible says that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. So we're saying the great shepherd watches out for us. He was watching out for David then because the great shepherd of David, he sent his word to David at that time. David's headed down a wrong path. And the shepherd says, uh-uh, I'm going to get you off that path. I'm looking out for your soul. And so what did he do? He set a humble yet bold woman named Abigail who God had filled with wisdom. That's how the shepherd helped David out. And so here, Abigail had heard that David had strapped on his sword, and he's headed that way. And it says, I won't use the New King James language, but he was going to slay every male that was owned by Nabal or worked on his property. Every single male. Didn't matter who they were or what they had done. And when she hears that, it says she runs and meets him, and she bows her head in the dust before David. And here's what she told him. She says, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Nabal means foolish. He's foolish, and folly is with him. She says, Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, seeing the Lord has withholden you from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offensive heart unto my Lord, either that you have shed blood causeless or that my Lord has avenged himself. What's she doing? She's correcting the king, the future king, David. And was he offended? Who is this woman to come and correct? And maybe she did it on Father's Day. <laughs> Who does she think she is? Was he offended? David was not offended, was he? Because <laughs> he knew what? He knew the Lord was his shepherd, and he saw the shepherd's hand in sending this godly woman to lead him. We're talking about he will lead us in paths of righteousness, and he sees that that's what God's doing. He sent this woman with a word to lead him in the paths of righteousness. And here was his answer to her. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. He recognized his shepherd's hand. 
and blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. Has that ever happened to you? Man, that's happened to me. God sends somebody with the word might even be your enemy. And you're heading down a path that you shouldn't be on, and you need to listen. Because it might even be he's using your enemy to talk to you and get you straightened out. That's the way God works. But look, he loves us, doesn't he? And he knows if we were left to ourselves, we would always, and I mean always, choose the wrong path. We would, if left to ourselves, we're dumb sheep. Sinful, strained, prone to wander sheep on our own. But he sends his word to us, doesn't he? Many times. Sometimes it's a brother or a sister. Sometimes through your wife or husband. Sometimes through a message. Sometimes through your daily devotions. However, he does. The lead and guide us to paths of righteousness. If he has to, he'll speak to us through a donkey. Don't tell me I got a strong resemblance. But he'll speak to a donkey if he has to. But we have that great promise that we've heard many times, Psalms 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. So the Lord Jesus Christ is our great shepherd who directs our steps. And if we'll follow his voice, and his voice is always going to line up with his word. It always will. You hear a voice telling you to do something, you better know the word before you go running off somewhere. Because he's not going to contradict his word. You're going to hear that voice say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And if you're his sheep, you might get a little off, but he's going to get you back on the paths of righteousness. That's what we just read there. That's what his restoration is. And look at verse 4. David adds, yay. It's like, don't let me forget to add this. That's what he's saying here in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so the valleys that are over in Palestine, they are dark. Some of them are dark, deep ravines. And many times, shepherds have to lead their flocks through these ravines to get them to green pastures and waters. On either side of the valley, there are these steep slopes, and there's holes and caves, and there's robbers that lurk there, and there's wild animals that lurk there that would love to get hold of this sheep. And not only that, no light can get through. They're high and steep. It's dark down there. It's scary. It's dangerous. So that shadow of death, it's an idiom that was used by them. It means a very deep shadow or deep darkness. And what does that represent? It represents the uncertainties, dangers, and trials that all of us are going to pass through at times. All of us. But what is the greatest uncertainty that we face? Death and its shadow. Because here's why. Here's why I'm saying that. Because that's a journey that none of us have ever taken before. So we can talk to people that have been through sickness trials, financial trials, mental trials, been through that, come out of it, but hey, we don't talk to anybody that's had to face this before, have we? So you go to a foreign country and you're on unfamiliar roads and there's just that certain amount of anxiety when you're there, unless you have a guide taking you through that you know you can trust. So like I said, the shadow of death, it's a road that we have never traveled, but one day, everyone will. If you're one of those people that's here when the Lord returns, 
It's not like we've made it to where we couldn't talk about death. It's a bad confession. It's not a bad confession. If I get to be 83 year old and I die, I'm not going to feel like I somehow missed out. Because we talked about this a while back. The dead in Christ rise first. You're not going to beat me. We're not going to beat Brother Hamilton. He's, he's already got his beat. It's not like it's some kind of put down, but we're going to have people before the Lord returns. I believe, I don't know when he's coming back, right? We don't know. And there may be a lot of us in here for one reason or another. We pass and go on to be with the Lord. It's not anything wrong with that, is there? <laughs> but it's a road we've never traveled before. And listen, the world, they live in daily fear of that, that death. And that's what it says in Hebrews 2. They are in bondage, it says in the Bible, through fear of death. And you know why? I said, when you have to go on a road that you've never been on before, it's anxiety. Unless you have a guide that can take you through. Guess what? The world has no guide. No one's been on that path. And they are just guessing what's there. And they've got an unlimited amount of guesses. But that's not for us, is it? Because we have a guide that we can trust. And he's passed through that shadow. He's been on that path. And he's come back. Wow. He told John this, Revelations, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, he said, I live, I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And he says, and I have the keys of hell and death. And so our shepherd is a guide that we can trust through that shadow of death. Our sister, Mrs. Rudy, she just passed through that shadow, her darkness, didn't she? But you know what? For her, like all Christians, before her, she didn't go through alone, did she? What are we reading here in our psalm? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, it says. And so she went through it, but someone was with her. God's presence. You know, when Lazarus the beggar died in Luke 16, we know, we read there, he was full. His body was filled with ulcerated sores. He was starving. He's suffering when he dies. But when he went through the valley, laying there alone in front of that guy's gate for all those years, but when he went through that valley, he was not alone. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And guess what? His suffering was over. Because when the two of them are talking, when Abraham's talking to the rich man, oh, you're going to get tormented the rest of your life. But no, our friend here, he's comforted. Lazarus, he's comforted forevermore. That's what God's word says. So we're saying our shepherd will lead us through the shadow of the valley of death. As Stephen approached that shadow, God was graciously with him. It says in Acts 7.55, after he got through preaching, it says he was filled with the Spirit of God. God's presence and his Spirit came on Stephen in a mighty way. It already said he was a man full of the faith and the Spirit. And it says then he looked up when that happened. He looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now let me ask you this. If you looked up before you died and saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing 
arms out waiting to receive you, do you think that you could die well? Stephen did. So when he was under the power of that spirit, he told the Pharisees, he's telling them what he's seeing. I'm seeing the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God, is what he told them. And that was more than they could handle. It wasn't just the words. He was saying that in the power of the Holy Spirit. There was an anointing on those words, more than they could handle. And if you read the account, it says they began crying out as loud as they could, putting their hands over their ears. Ah, stop it. They couldn't handle that, those unregenerate men. Tell him to stop it. And it says they threw him out of the city and they stoned him. Did he die well? Scriptures go on to say this, that as he's dying, being stoned, it says he called upon God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the spirit of God enabled him to say with his last dying breath, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Last thing he said. And I'd say he died well. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God was with Stephen. God was with Lazarus. God was with Mrs. Rudy. God was with Jamie. I can confidently say that in those cases. Well, listen, death, like I've said, is something that we are all must face. And some are going to face it sooner than others. But here's the thing, in a sense... It's something, in a sense I'm saying, it's something that we must face alone because no earthly friend or loved one can go through it with us. Not through that valley. And it's narrow, like it was in Israel, taking those sheep through, and you have to go through it single file. But one will be with us. If we said Jesus will be our guide and Savior through the dark valley of death, and we don't have to fear it, do we? Because David says, I will fear no evil. Why is that? Because death has lost its sting. Listen, Jay's dad, my brother, called me up the other day. He's out doing his deck. And this wasp, I saw a picture. I've never seen a wasp like that before. Got up under his shirt and stung him. And he said, you know, next thing you know, he's got bumps over his entire body. He's itching everywhere. His head, he goes, it felt, he goes all I can tell you is it felt like a pumpkin. His head had swelled up, and his daughter comes home and sees him. And what in the world happened to you? Isn't it? I mean, he almost died. The stinger's still in there. But what if that thing crawled up him with no stinger? It's not a problem. Right? And so listen, we don't have to be afraid of that sting of death because Jesus has taken it out. It's removed. We don't have to be afraid of it. There's no longer a sting there. Lost its sting, and God will be with us at that time. And those are words of great comfort. You are with me. Thou art with me. The Lord said this in Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. How many people in here have read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Everybody over 50. You young people, it's a book you need to read. It's a classic. Besides the Bible, it is the all-time best-selling book in the world. It's a great book. I would highly recommend that you read the original version and not these updated versions they have. But you know, it's about a man named Christian who's on a journey. He leaves sin, the city of destruction, and he's on his way to the celestial cities. He has to overcome all these things, types of trials and tribulations that are part of the Christian life. 
But the last obstacle that Christian faces in Pilgrim's Progress is he is told he gets to the bank of this river. And across on the other side is a celestial city. And he says, you have got to cross that river to get there. And he asks the question, he says, is there no other way? And they say, well, yeah, there's one other way, but there's only two men that have ever been able to take it. And that was Enoch and Elijah. And he sees the only way I'm going to get to that city, and I've gone my whole life, that's where I've been headed to. That's where my sights have been on, is to cross that river. And so he enters the river and begins to cross. And then he's on there, he begins to be overwhelmed. Thoughts of his past sins and his unworthiness. He's, he's beginning to despair, wondering, is he going to get through there? But hope was with him, expectation. And he begins to think about the promises of God and the goodness of God that has been shown him all through this journey. And guess what happens? Suddenly, the Lord's presence in the book says became real to him. And he cries out with a loud voice, oh, I see him. He got a glimpse of that shepherd that was going to take him through. The rest of that journey through that river, he went through rejoicing because he realized, thou art with me. And that's the way it's been for many martyrs down through the centuries, up to this present time. But we can rest assured God's grace and presence will be with us when we come to that river at that point. And I would say it'd be a good idea to memorize this psalm and remind ourselves from it when we get in trouble. Because listen, if he's going to be with us in that dark shadow of death, he'll be with us no matter what dark trial we're going through, won't he? And so that'll be a tremendous encouragement to us when we know we're in a ravine, a dark trial, and surrounded by our enemies that are trying to do us in. Because all of us know this that have been in a trial of any sort. They're always worse at night. The dark shadows, right? And that's when Satan and his demons will attack us the hardest. That's the way it works. And that's the times when I believe a psalm like this, if you can remember it, turn to it, read it, it'll be such an encouragement because I've been in dark trials in my life many times, times where I literally thought my heart was going to break. And only the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd of my soul, was with me, sustaining me, upholding me, and bringing me through, did I make it. Many of you in here have had the exact same experiences, and you can say all of us can. With David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack because I just walked through a dark valley where the roaring lion sought to devour me. But who was with me? You, Lord, you were there with me. Your rod defended me, drove off the devil, and your staff lifted me out of danger. And now it says thy rod and thy staff. I'm comforted, greatly comforted. And so we can say with confidence after going through experiences like that with our Lord, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen? That's the great shepherd's two sheepdogs, goodness and mercy, and they're following us. Faithful, loving sheepdogs. They're dogging us. They're after us, and we are so glad they do, aren't we? Because we need them. <laughs> we need them. You know, Catherine, where's Catherine at? She's got her faithful dog with her all the time. Brucie, with her all the days of her life. <laughs> and I'm glad for her. But I've got goodness and mercy with me all the days of my life. I like those two dogs better. And I know Catherine does too, right? So how does he end this psalm? He says, surely like David, I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Because what? Heaven is our home. We're citizens there. Right now by faith and it will be a reality. So like David, can't we just praise God that we could say the Lord is my shepherd. We're the cherished object, as I said earlier, the cherished object of divine diligence. We will never lack anything with God as our shepherd when we can say that. And the greatest thing he's going to provide us is what? Our basic needs. Green pastures and still waters. His word and the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And also when we stumble and we fall on our backs, guess who's there to restore us? To turn us over, to turn us around, to turn us upside down, whichever way we need to be turned, he will be there and lead us into those paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. He's purchased us with his blood. We bear his name. He wants us to do right for his name's sake, it says. And when we get in those dark valleys, as we talked about, where the wild animals and wild men would do us harm, what? We don't have to fear, do we? We don't have to fear evil because our shepherd is right there with us, with his rod and staff to comfort us, and he will faithfully lead us through any dark valley we must face, whether it's death or a trial, and it's just a shadow with no sting. Aren't we glad for those two old sheepdogs, goodness and mercy, constantly barking at us, constantly reminding us that the shepherd loves us and he's bringing us somewhere. That's what goodness and mercy are doing. They're barking and leading and guiding the flock where? To the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever. Amen? Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, if you keep your Bibles open to Psalm 23 and everyone stand up, we're going to read it together. So if you don't have a King James, just act like you do. Because that's what we're going to be reading. Amen. Well, let's read this. Everybody ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the shepherd of our souls, and you've given us the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to watch over us, the shepherd that was willing to lay down his life for us, and he continues, Lord, to watch over us, to guide us, protect us, he is our healer, the Lord our healer, the Lord our provider, the Lord our peace, the Lord our righteousness, and the Lord that will be with us, our guide, our guide that has been through that valley of death and can take us through there, Lord. He's been there and come back, and what a great comfort that is, and we thank you for him. We thank you, Lord, for the words you've given us today and this great comfort and encouragement in this psalm that we can all say, the Lord is my shepherd, and we thank you for all that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.